It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine because I believe in Jesus. I'm not going to do that whole next rap, but it's something about <laughs> six o'clock TV hour. Don't get caught in a foreign tower or something like that. Slash and burn, return, listen to yourself, churn. Welcome in God's word during exile. We're here. We're hanging out. We're having some fun. We're talking about God's word. Uh, last week, we hope you really enjoyed our special guest, Dr. Brad Pribinow. Uh, It was great fun to have him on. Um, and we look forward to potentially a few more guests in the future. Always Jason Goodham. Uh, we'll give you a little shout out. Uh, you're always welcome on the podcast anytime you want more frequently than I think we've had you on. So if you want to be on, you can be on next week if you want. Oh, maybe not next week. Cause we might be double batching maybe two weeks from now. We'll figure it out. So anyway, Welcome in. Uh, Bible study. We're going through the book of Revelation. And, uh, oh, I have us mixed up. So I'm going to just, I don't think that's right. Let me rearrange me. Here we go. All right. I'm going to say that Mike Hussey's up here on my diagonal. This is Matt Nelson right here. Ben Baker, myself, Mike Natal. Here it is. Let's go. You got it, man. I feel like there was some cheating that went on, though. Guys, today, yeah, actually, you know what? I had somebody screenshot it in to me, so there it is. <laughs> there it is. Hey, you got it. You got to get the points, no matter how you do it. So today we're going to be covering, covering, cover. Co that word didn't sound right, but I, it sounds right. Uh, today we're going to be covering uh, Revelation eleven verses fifteen to the end of the chapter, which brings us to 19 we're going to be talking about the seventh trumpet and uh as we get going we're gonna have ben open us in a word of prayer let us pray Heavenly father thanks for state that you've given to us another opportunity to uh, dig into your word and so we just ask your for your Holy Spirit and your blessing upon our study of your word, that it may be a blessing to us and to all who hear it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks be to God. <laughs> oh, man. Matt, will you uh, read our passage? It's always an opportunity to give thanks to God. So That's what I'm saying, dude. Everybody makes fun of me for it, but I'm like, I'm the only one who's doing it right. Yeah, I guess you do kind of have a point there. Thanks, Ben. Coming to my aid. That's why I appreciate you. <laughs> All right. So again, we're reading from Revelation 11, verses 15 through 19. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version today. This is the word of the Lord. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of God. The world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on, the th on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. 
and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your saints, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the dark and the ark, excuse me, of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Here ends our reading. No thanks be to God, Mike. I mean, I didn't want to bogart the thanks be to God. So I was letting you guys have a little moment to shine. You're not going to say, so, it, say it. So, Mike, were you, were you singing the Hallelujah chorus and Handel's Messiah and he shall reign forever and ever? And Bro, it's actually funny that you said that because I was actually going to bring up a video to play uh, at some point and we'll tag it in there. But yeah, I was. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever, forever and ever, and he shall reign and he shall reign. Guys, let's go. Come on. Seriously. <laughs> mm, we're going to have so many good clips from this one. I'll, I'll sing Father Abraham, but that's about the extent of it. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> All right. So that, that'll be our outro word. music for today. The Father Abraham, you'll have to sing us out today. Sing is, I probably am not going to do it. If there's a good reason to do it, I might. <clears throat> All right, so Revelation 11, looking at 15, that seventh angel blowing the seventh and final trumpet. And as he does, our vision is brought into heaven, and there are loud voices there saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. Uh, there's something a little bit strange about that first phrase, or at least the way I'm hearing it. Hasn't God always been in charge? Hasn't he always been the king on the throne, reigning and ruling over everything? So why are they singing that now God is in charge of the world? Well, I don't know that so much that they're saying that now, you know, God has begun to reign over the world it says the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our lord and of his christ and i think the idea here then is that you know we have kind of the in this age you know the already and the not yet or we have this tension between what we see and what the reality is so the reality is that god is ruling and reigning and always has been he is the one true sovereign lord of all things but we don't see that um right so one of the things that scripture speaks about is that you know that upon christ's resurrection and his ascension he is enthroned over his kingdom and he must reign until everything is put in subjection under him and the author of hebrews tells us very clearly that we do not yet see everything in subjection to christ and so we've had this whole time you know basically since the ascension that christ is enthroned yeah, he is reigning, but we don't yet see the full completion of that or the full, you know, experience fully what that means, because we still see, you know, what looks to us is to be all kinds of chaos and everything like that throughout the world. And it seems like people kind of just do whatever they want. But but the reality is that we grasp by faith is that Christ is indeed reigning and and he will do so until everything is subjected to him. And so this 
part that we see really is the completion of that. So now everything in this world has now been brought fully under Christ's subjection and, and evil will be judged and the devil cast into the lake of fire. Cause here we are the seventh trumpet, right? We're at the end. There is not going to be any more evil. And we remember that uh, the age to come is the new heavens and the new earth. It is an earthly physical existence where basically heaven and earth become one. Um, and so the kingdom of the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. There is no more rebellion against Christ. There is no more evil. Evil has been eradicated, done with Christ has judged the world. Um, and all that remains is Christ's kingdom and his righteousness and its full manifestation forevermore. And so, um, this is not the beginning of something new but it is actually the culmination of all of history, particularly of redemptive history and Christ's work on our behalf in his suffering, death and resurrection, and then ascending to the throne, ruling and reigning all of this time, patiently waiting so that as many people as possible may come to be spared from the second death. And then finally he comes and he makes an end to the devil and to all evil. And he brings about the culmination. And so this is the climax as it were, this is the, the telos, we could say, the end, the goal to which all of God's actions in Christ are moving. Now it has come to be. So this is what we've been waiting for. Not the beginning of something, but the full completion of it. If that makes sense. It does. And it fully explains why Mike was singing the end of the world as we know it as the video opened, right? Because what we have here in the seventh trumpet is the end of the world as we know it. It is the final judgment day. It is the day when when heavens and earth are remade, and uh, and all that all that good and wonderful stuff that we as Christians are longing for. Uh, ben, you said a word in the middle of that, which I totally understood, but I wonder if all of our listeners are going to because it was a Greek word. Uh, you used the the Greek word telos, um, and famously, uh, probably most famously, this word is uttered from the lips of Jesus on the cross by saying "tetelestai," same root word. It is, it is finished. So if you heard telos and you were, you were confused, that word telos is completion, or it is finished, or it is paid in full. Um, you know, there's a little more of that semantic range than that. You guys may have things to add to kind of flesh it out too. Nope. That was good. Um, yeah, there's the idea of the completion, the end goal that we're looking at here, so. So I was thinking about uh, different ways we talk about the kingdom, um, you know, the kingdom of God uh, in the gospels, the kingdom of heaven, some of this language. So we've got the kingdom of the world, and then we've got the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ here. Um, I wonder if it might be helpful to talk about, you know, the, the ways that that's used in scripture, some of those ideas and and also I was thinking maybe in, and we could maybe pull this into that discussion, the fact that, that Jesus taught us to pray thy kingdom come, you know, thy will be done. And um, so what, what are the different ways that we use that or we should understand the kingdom of God or the kingdom of our Lord? Well, well yeah, thy, king, oh, thy kingdom ahead. come, what does this mean? 
right? That's the question you're asking, right? Right. The kingdom of God comes indeed of itself without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may come to us also. You're probably asking, how is this done, right? <laughs> I knew you were. When our heavenly father gives us his Holy Spirit so that by his grace, we believe his holy word and live a godly life here on earth and in heaven forever. Yeah. Boy, that is just as succinct as it gets. That's the most articulate I've ever been in my entire life. Yep. Did you come uh, up with when that I was yourself? reading Ribino's yeah. notes last week? <laughs> <laughs> Did you come up with those that yourself? There? Uh, no, I got it out of this little book that if you've never heard of it, you should go buy one and read it. Luther's small catechism and explanation. Wonderful stuff. The basics of the Christian faith. It's awesome. So it seems to me that there's, you know, a couple things going on there. We've got the kingdom coming in, you know, from the perspective of a believer who's anticipating it and praying for it. And, and that's maybe coming in the sense then that, that God would come and, and be our ruler, right? Our Lord, and we would be citizens in his kingdom, um, praying for that. We also get this sense in Revelation here where, where it's he's coming in power and he's moving in he's asserting his his strength and judgment right here into this situation and and again as we've seen throughout revelation there's a very positive sense of that for the believers where they're being welcomed into the kingdom as citizens but it's also a great judgment on unbelievers uh wrath on upon them and they are defeated um and and slain and and uh or thrown in prison whatever you want to say with that and uh and so there's definitely different senses of it here and with the kingdom of the world i i think of the fact that god has you know sort of seemed seeming to or he has seemed to in a sense allow the world to go about its way you know allowing um for the devil to have some, you know, semblance of, of control here or activity on earth. Right. And that's coming to an end here, but um, God has always maintained his ultimate power and control, but he has held back from bringing full judgment on the earth, as was mentioned earlier for the purpose of saving many souls, giving chances to repent and believe. So the Lord has, been long suffering or patient that that people would be saved they would have opportunities to believe and be saved and so um now is the end of of that waiting and the lord um has has put up with it for long enough and it's time for judgment the the last of the those who will be saved are saved and and now is is god's big swift move into judgment and um, and, and again, maybe a, another helpful thing to bring into this discussion, I heard um, something along the lines of that the kingdom of God should be understood as where God is actively ruling and reigning. And so when it talks about his kingdom coming into the world, that's like the, the power and, and um, active ruling that he's been holding back is now moving in. Um, but we see throughout the scriptures that God has asserted that in different ways, um, you know, throughout history, even as Jesus, you know, tells the raging sea, peace be still. Um, and as he um, is, 
casting out demons and uh, and all of these things he is showing the power of god in in the world but but now it's complete and final um as as he moves in for that that uh killing blow you might say uh, i think it's also important to keep in mind too that um the kingdom of god comes in jesus and so you know, one of the ways that, um, for example, Dr. Jeff Gibbs, uh, who wrote some commentaries on Matthew, the way he understands, you know, the kingdom of God is the ruler reign of God, the rule and reign of, of heaven. And it comes in Jesus. He brings the kingdom. And how does he do that? Well, he does that through bringing the word, through the call to repentance and faith, through you know, in, in Jesus' case in particular, through going to the cross, dying, rising again. And so, how does how does God's kingdom come then among us through word and sacrament? And so, um, you know, and his kingdom is all of his saving work in Jesus Christ. And so when we're, when we're looking at it in this age, um, you know, we don't, we don't look for physical markers of the kingdom. I mean, beyond the, we have some visible markers of the kingdom, such as word and sacrament. So if you want to know where God's kingdom is, go to where his word is rightly preached and where his sacraments are administered according to his word and institution. There you have it. Um, but we don't look for, you know, someone sitting on a throne in a physical temple or, or palace or whatever, when there aren't uh, physical boundaries to such a kingdom. And so, you know, it is largely something that we, that we confess by, by faith. It's an article of faith. Um, you know, as Jesus ca compares the kingdom of heaven, for example, to the mustard seed, you know, starts out really small. You can't really see it's working. And before you know it, it's huge, right? Kind of a thing. And there's so much attached to, you know, God's kingdom and how, and how it grows, you know, again, through, through word and sacrament that we don't see it. We don't see all the growth of the kingdom. We can't look over there and say, oh yeah, look how big it is. Um, but when Christ comes again, then kind of all of that which we have trusted in by faith, which we have confessed as true by faith, comes into full sight as well. So now, now that which we have believed in, in spite of what we see, now what we see matches what we have confessed by faith. And so... Um, so kind of, again, you know, we're not, so sometimes we speak the language as, as Christians of building the kingdom and we, we say such silly things. How, how can we actually build God's kingdom? Is he not the architect and builder? He is. We can't actually build. So we should be more careful in our language. We don't build God's kingdom. He builds it. And with his means and his ways. Right. Um, and, and so, I was losing track. Oh, so we're not we're not looking for um, you know some kind of physical manifestation of the kingdom of Christ until we get to this final day. Does that make sense? So, you know, and this this then would be very different than those who are looking for you know a future kingdom to be set up on earth by Christ, which only lasts for a short time, really, and then all falls apart. Um, that's not what Scripture gives us to to look forward to but what we look forward to what we head to 
such as in this text, is that eternal kingdom that comes to its full manifestation. It's here now. It exists now, but in its fullness, we will see it then. And, and it's eternal. It's not temporary. So we don't run around chasing around trying to find some physical kingdom of Christ in this age, but we confess that it will come in its fullness and, in, and for eternity when our Lord returns. If that, I don't know, that makes any kind of sense. <laughs> can, I, can I try to say, I think, many of these concepts in another way, just because I think our, our listeners might possibly be having a hard time wrapping their mind around this. I, I've needed to hear this kind of stuff a hundred or a thousand times to try to try to, you know, put it all together. Um, but we want to make connections for you in the scriptures. And so uh, maybe another way to try to understand this is that, like we heard that when Jesus was on the cross and he said to Telestai, it is finished. He inaugurated the end. He won the victory. And on the third day, when he rose from the dead, he sealed that victory um, with his resurrection. And, and so that was the beginning of the end, right? And and so from that point on, Christ is victorious, and we already are experiencing heaven, um, you know, as members of heaven, believers in Christ. And, and whenever we, you know, whenever the church is, the church is reigning then too. So we're talking about the millennial reign, right? The church is now established by Christ, and, um, and so... We've got God's kingdom on earth and um, experiencing his victory. Although, as Ben is saying, it's, it often looks like we're defeated and Christ isn't reigning and we haven't fully realized all of it. But the end is inaugurated. The victory is won. And we look forward to the day when, when that victory will be fully realized at Judgment Day. And, and so uh, then we have snapshots throughout, you know, the rest of this time on earth where we experience the heaven on earth and uh, in the presence of God's word and sacraments. But then again, it's, it's fully realized at the end, we see Christ taking up the throne and bringing everyone to judgment, but the victory had already essentially been secured back on the cross and in the resurrection. And so that's also why it's the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, because through the work of the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, God, um, God brought his, his kingdom in and, uh, and won the victory. And so uh, I don't know if that helps clarify any of it, but we're talking I don't know. Is there another set of words that are more helpful, but inaugurated the end and what, what would be? Yeah, I think, I think I got one. Let me, let me try. Hold on. Give me one sec. This is going to be good. I can tell. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Hold on. Uh, I got to do this. I'm scared. I don't know. I got to do this. All right, here we go. You ready? Maybe.
that's all you're gonna get. That's it. That's the whole thing. Uh, when I saw those cloaked guys, I thought for sure it was gonna be the Monty Python. Nope, but I will make sure uh, to post the full song in the notes. Yeah. And for the, have you ever seen that? I I think I have seen a it's little been a bit while. of that at least. And for those who are just getting audio only here, we uh, that was some like hooded monks. You couldn't see their faces, and they're holding up signs for all the words for that. I go. like the little shark dude. Is good. Yeah, <laughs> that guy's not tall enough to get his word up high. Yeah, that's pretty funny. But uh, no, I think inaugurated is a good word. Sometimes people use the word realized but we don't that's not as good because not all of it has come yet we have that tension of the already and not yet. so i think it yeah. is good yeah. yeah i think i said something like for the end like fully realized or something like that you know there's a yeah. sense where you know what we already experience in the victory of christ is then fully known you know like um that's when the veil's going to be torn away we're not going to you know see dimly anymore right everything uh, everything that is actually reality is going to be revealed for what it is. So Christ's victory is then going to be totally seen. And right now, the unbelievers of this world scoff at Christ, and they they think he doesn't exist, or they think he's a fool, or they think he lost, or whatever. But on that day, they're going to realize the truth, and um and. And all those who trusted in Christ, even though they were called a fool, even though they were rejected by the world, they will be shown to be right as they are, you know, watching, um, watching the kingdom of God um, revealed in all of its glory. And, um, and, and the unbelievers will bow before Christ and be his footstool, right? He, he uh, will show that he has conquered. Yeah, I think we can note too. This is something that we participate in as well. So kind of you're saying, Matt, that the, the church does indeed in Christ rule and, and reign with him right now, as as Paul writes in Ephesians, you know, that Christ has um let me find the word has raised, you know, he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Right. And so just as Christ was raised from the dead. And he ascended into heaven and he brings our humanity with him for he is God and man forevermore. Um, so we also, when God converts us through faith in Christ, forgives our sins, he raises us from dead. This is the first resurrection, as we'll get to later in Revelation. They seat us in the heavenly places with Christ. So we rule and reign with Christ even now, even though it doesn't seem like it. And when Christ returns, what does he do? He not only brings with him those who have died prior to his return, but he also calls up from the earth those who are still alive to join him and those he's bringing with him in the air. And all together as one, we join him in the triumphal procession back down to earth where the end is then carried out in the new heavens and the new earth and and, you know, it's back basically to the Garden of Eden, the tree of life and, uh, you know, no more tears and the lamb in the midst of the throne is the light of the new heavens and earth and there's no need for the sun and all that kind of stuff then is then brought 
brought to bear. But this is something that we we participate with Christ even now, though it doesn't look like it. But then also at the full realization, the full unveiling, the climax of history, boom, we are there with Christ also participating in this. Yeah. And so you believers are already citizens of heaven um, and 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 these different ways we talk about eternity um, and being with the Lord. And and so that's that's already true. That's already secured. Your name is written in the book of life. And uh, and yet, you know, we we recognize that we are aliens in this world right now and um, and that we're going about the Lord's mission to to uh, announce the gospel to many people that they would be saved as well and join us as citizens of heaven. And, uh, and in the meantime, we, we still experience a lot of the hardships and um, seeming defeat in this world. Um, as we've heard about in prior parts of revelation, the, all of the trials and tribulations of this world and even being the church militant going to war and dying and being martyred and all of these things. And even though all that is happening here and now, um, we recognize that the victory has already been won and our place is secured. And we look forward to the day when we get to experience all of the fullness of those blessings. So with everything that's encompassed in that, in that final day and the return of Christ and the judgment and the new heavens and the new earth with all the amazing things that are found there in that last day. It's really no surprise that we have what we have in verse 16 and what follows. We got the 24 elders, which represent the entire church, um, falling down on their faces and worshiping and praising God. Um, is it right to call 17 and 18 a, a hymn or is it just a poem? What do you guys say? Is there really a substantial difference? I yeah. don't sing poems. Why not? I sing poems all the time. can't sing but, very well. But you know that there's hymns that were poems that were set to music, right? I reject that. Who's <laughs> 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 wrong? That's just plain <laughs> ignorance. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> he doesn't care. He doesn't I'm, care. I'm going to call it a hymn then. They've got a hymn whether or not it's sung. How about that? Uh, yeah. Be I mean, do you want me to try to sing it? Is that what yep. you're, is that what yep. you're aiding me into? Yeah, actually, that'd be great. Yep. Chant it for us. Hmm. Uh, which version should I sing it from? <laughs> King James, probably, or yeah, definitely American King Standard King. version. <laughs> Uh, how about ESV? <laughs> All right, let's let's give this a shot. Oh Lord, <laughs> be with me, Lord. Wait, you missed a few words before that. We, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Hey! Yeah. Work, All right. Work. Now, I Ben, not, repeat. Second I could not verse. have. Heard. All right. <laughs> right. That uh, that first verse, though, uh, it's got some amazing praise for for God Himself. It calls Him Lord God Almighty, All Powerful, who was and who is the God who is eternal, and talks again about His power. 
Uh, and the one part of this first verse, I think that was confusing that we would want to take a bunch of time on. Um, we, we covered really well already, right? We know what that beginning of the reign is because that's exactly what we were talking about when we talked about the kingdom of the world becoming the kingdom of our Lord. Uh, so do you guys have any other thoughts about 17? Anything you want to pull out of here? Should we roll into 18 and start talking about the second half of this? Um, just the, the language, you know, which we do hear over and over again in the New Testament is kind of an echo of God's own name that he gave to, to Moses, you know, the, the one who is and who was, or we might, you know, if we remember from earlier in Revelation, the one, you know, who is and who was and who is to come is kind of that eternal nature of of god he always has been he is always will be and so just kind of a neat consistent consistency of language in describing god and and who he is maybe i'll just add to the fact that you know mike ended up singing that to us and your question about whether that's a hymn or a poem you know i think we see throughout the scriptures that you know often when um, when God, sh- you know, shows his, his great power and delivers his people, they end up rejoicing in song. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of times it was beautiful and, and rejoicing music, you know, musical stuff, but I think some tone deaf people were singing along too and shouting and, uh, all of that too. So not everybody has a music degree from Penn state, but you know, everybody is <laughs> rejoicing and, uh, I mean, honestly, when the Lord does something amazing, if he puts a song in your heart, even if you can't carry a tune, right? And and people express themselves with great emotion. And this is a beautiful thing. And, you know, so I, I think it's so appropriate that some of these uh, verses, too, have put been put to some of the best music in history as well, and that we still just enjoy listening to it and rejoicing and singing it. Um the lines that were above, you know, have been sung so often in big choir situations and everybody getting together and, and singing from, you know, their heart with everything they've got, um, all those powerful words, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And to think of now thanking God for this and, and that he's always been in control. He's the one who is and who was, but it says that he's taken his great power and begun to reign. So he's always had the ability to do this. He's always been in control, but now he's stepping in and acting. And we're just thankful for it as people who have cried out to him for help. You know, the church has been praying and asking for God to bring justice and help and deliverance. And now he's here He's showing his power. He's defeating our enemies. He's bringing us home. And why wouldn't you want to just shout and sing and grab a tambourine and a guitar or drums or whatever you got and just let it rip and praise the Lord, right? I don't have any of those instruments, though. All right. Well, you've got a sword that you put in your mouth sometimes. and oh, I don't you, know, know that... you know how I feel, Matt, as I'm listening to you talk? Like this little kid. This is how I feel. Yes. <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, man. That's good stuff. I'm just pondering verse 17 a little bit and the first line of verse 18. 
the elders are praising the Lord God Almighty, who is and was, and talking about his great power and his reign. And there's all this praise for God's greatness that comes. And then you get into verse 18, and there are three words in English. The nations raged. It's sort of like, it brings my mind back to uh, the Tower of Babel. You know, they're building this tower to the skies to be great and wonderful, make a name for themselves. And what does God say? Why, why don't we go down and look at this little thing? You know, the nations raged, but what did it accomplish? What power did they have? It's nothing. It's, it's a blip, right? All right. <clears throat> yeah, and it just reminds us too that, you know, where there is God's salvation, uh, there is also a judgment of evil. And so at the same time, that's when Christ returns, that that is, you know, the, the fullness of the salvation of his people. Um, it is also the fullness of his wrath on those who have opposed him and rejected him. And so we see that, that part um, in there as well, that the nations raged, but God's wrath came. And I'll say the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. So this sounds pretty final to me. I don't know about you, but this doesn't sound like the beginning of something again, but the ending of something. And so it would be rather silly to see this as the beginning of, you know, some kind of future quote unquote millennial reign or kingdom of God, because here he is destroying all evil and those who oppose him. And yet in those millennial schemes, the kingdom comes to an end with rebellion and Satan is not yet judged. And so it makes no sense whatsoever to see this as anything other than the end of all evil and of the devil. This is pretty final. The language is quite final. So you're saying that even though other um, interpretations of this would see this as starting another a period of time where Christ is going to come to earth and there's going to be more happening. This, there's a real sense of finality to this, right? Yep. And, and this is final judgment stuff. This is not leaving any leg to stand on for the devil and evil uh, people, um, unbelievers, right? This is, this is it. This is sweeping yes. judgment of the whole world. <laughs> That's oh, all. Yes. Yeah. Right. And so again, that the only way that it makes sense that way, you know, if we understand as we've been approaching Revelation, that each set of, you know, the seals, the trumpets, and then the bowls, when we get to them, are covering the same time period, just from different perspectives. So that is how we can arrive at the end once again, um, and see it from a different perspective. But if we were trying to take Revelation as a chronological uh, progression from, you know, chapter one on or chapter four on then we're stuck with the problem of well this is all this final language but there's still more to come and then we're like well what do we do with that and that's where others have tried to shove that into a timeline and it doesn't work very well whereas if you understand that you know there are these cycles of prophecy in which john is covering the same periods of time culminating in the end and we see it from different perspectives, we don't have that trouble. Then we're like, yep, here we are at the end, and then we're going to get some more stuff about other things. But this is where the seventh uh, trumpet has brought us, is to the end, just as the seventh seal did, and the seventh bowl will also. Seems significant to me, too, that as it talks about the nations raging, I mean, you get this sense that 
they were raging against God, rejecting him, fighting against him. But also, I mean, we recognize how the nations just rage against each other and everything. It's just chaotic, painful mess here on earth, right? And and God knows it. He he realizes how bad it is here and he doesn't approve. He it's not as if he's out of control of of all of it. He could have stepped it in any any time and brought it to an end, right? Completely. But um but he was waiting for um, for others to be saved. He was still trying to draw people to himself um, with the gospel, and uh, and yet he acknowledges the pain and the trials that we go through in this life. I think, and and um, and he's dealing with it here, right? And so uh, he he comes against it now. And so again, the prayers of people crying out for justice are now heard as he brings his wrath. Yeah, it's interesting, the, that language of, you know, the nation's rage, that's basically how Psalm 2 begins, right? So if we hear from Psalm 2, you know, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And goes on, he who sits in heaven, sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds him in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, our kings, be wise, be be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And see, see, and here kind of echoes of that language of Psalm 2 here in Revelation 11, of the nations raging, of, of God's wrath against them, of the ones who take refuge in God, they are they are blessed, they are spared, but the ones who would set themselves against God and against his Christ are utterly destroyed in the end. And so it's kind of some interesting parallels of language there. That was a good connection, Ben. <clears throat> it's always nice to be able to draw those lines to other parts of scripture and see it as a cohesive unit that's, that's you know, still just all about Jesus, right? So here the Lord is fulfilling his promise, right? Mm -hmm. And he's doing it through his anointed, his, his Christ, his Messiah. Very powerful. Mm -hmm. Well, any other thoughts on the end of that hymn? Or should we roll into our last verse, verse 19? I think just, you know, we, we see the, it's time for the dead to be judged, Right. Um, and, and we recognize that all of us will face judgment, but we see that, um, it's also a time then in the judgment that he will be rewarding his servants. And, and so not everybody is going to be judged guilty. And so who is it that is considered to be one of his ser servants that will get the reward instead of the wrath? It's those who fear your name. And it's both small and great. It's not about how awesome you are. It's about fearing God's name and believing the promises of God, like in Psalm 2 that Ben just read from. Those who trust in God and his promise and fear his name 
um, are his servants and they are going to be rewarded on that day. And, um, and that's a wonderful comfort for us too. And I know Ben and I both had a funeral this week. And whenever you think about the finality of death and also of this judgment, when all of us, even those who are, you know, yet alive at that point, um, we will all then go before the Lord, right? And, um, and uh, we will be judged. And, and when, um, when you face, you know, God's judgment like that, that's a terrifying thing, knowing that he is aware of everything that you've done wrong and, and that you deserve a guilty judgment. But um, to know that it's possible to be rewarded is is a tantalizing idea but to know that it comes not through our worthiness or being great even if we are small it comes through fearing his name mm -hmm. all right let's check out our final verse then verse 19 <clears throat> there in 19 john gets a uh, a vision of god's temple in heaven it's probably important to notice or at least to make note of that this is a heavenly temple and not a earthly temple. Right, Ben? Yep. I was hoping for like really smart comments and I could just kind of, yeah. Oh. Okay. Don't get him started. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Yeah, I mean, along with, along with the fact that the Ark of the Covenant is seen within the temple too. And it's very interesting because, you know, there, of course, there are those who, who think that part of God's um, quote unquote end times activities, you know, would be rebuilding, you know, a temple and, and reinstituting all of these old covenant things. But it's interesting, you know, like I don't, I don't know for sure, but what would they do about no Ark of the covenant? Um, because it, nobody knows it. Well, I guess Indiana yeah, Jones, knows Indiana Jones, does. Indiana Jones, definitely but, uh, knows. you know, <laughs> <clears throat> in the real Don't world. take off the oh. lid or your face will melt. <laughs> Seriously. Well, um, I gotta find a gift for that now, don't I? I'll be right back. Yeah. Those um, Nazis used to know where it was <laughs> when they still were alive. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's interesting to note the you know, Jeremiah in chapter three of his prophecy, it's very interesting. Um I think I'm in the right place. Oh yeah. Um a little further up here. Okay. So he is talking about, um, I believe, uh, kind of return from, from exile and God calling, you know, faithless Israel back to repentance and so on. And it's very interesting that he mentions, though, you know, that <clears throat> when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land, so he's been talking about bringing them back to Zion. And you know, back to the land. In those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. And then he goes on to say, at that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord and all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. And they shall no more stubbornly follow their own hearts. And Judah will be joined to Israel. And so this is a picture of the coming restoration of, you know, um, really this last day kind of setting too. you know, in the call of all nations 
um, by God through the gospel to come uh, in faith and obedience to the Lord. And it's very interesting that Jeremiah says, yeah, that Ark of the Covenant, no one's going to talk about it anymore, really. They're not going to miss it. It's not going to be remembered. It's not going to be made again. So it just kind of kind of leaves us with the question and why do people search for such things or why do they think that it's still, I mean, in all likelihood it was destroyed when Jerusalem was sacked by Babylon and so on and so forth. And I know there are theories that run more like conspiracy theories that it's here, there, somewhere else in the world or whatever. But even if it were, it doesn't matter because it no longer has any more force any longer. And under the old covenant, that was the place where God, uh, he placed his presence in a very special way. But um, he no longer does that in the new covenant for Christ has come. And in Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we are the temple of God. He places his presence, especially within his believers. But it's, so it's interesting. So we see this, this temple in heaven and, and the ark is there to kind of join. Okay, so God is present here. Here's the true temple. And it is opened uh, to us. Um, and so... I guess kind of circling back then and kind of a roundabout way to what you're pointing out, Mike, is that we'd have to ask though too, you know, if Jeremiah prophesies that the ark is going to be no longer be of any use, right. Then we might ask the question, why in the world would any of the other parts of the old covenant uh, furniture and buildings be of any use either? Um, the ark was really the chief thing um, because it was in the holy of holies of the temple. It was kind of, it was the thing, right? That's where God placed his presence. That's where the blood of the sacrifices were, you know, they were sprinkled on the mercy seat. That was the whole point, right? And if that no longer has any more significance because the true temple and mercy seat himself, Christ himself has come, then what use is there of any of the lesser things either? I was hoping for smart stuff from Ben, but that was way smarter than I expected. That was awesome, dude. Killed <laughs> that whole verse. And, you know, just similarly, like we've mentioned before, um, that if the physical temple were rebuilt in Jerusalem, um, that wouldn't be an act of faith and it wouldn't be a helpful or good thing. And if they found that box, the Ark of the Covenant, and put it back there and went and ood and ah over it and started you know going back to the old forms of worship they would be missing the point and it wouldn't be an act of faith or belief it wouldn't be healthy be idolatry yeah. it, it would be idolatry it would be mm -hmm. such a problem it would be a thorn in the side of uh you know all of us who are trying to do gospel ministry and point people to christ and they they would instead be running to that um, in unbelief. And, and so uh, we, we shouldn't get all worked up and looking for it or you know, hoping to find it uh, that we can reestablish it and, and all of that. And so uh, that's not, that's not the point of what's being referenced in, in here. And we see that those things, you know, had a use for a time and and god god had a purpose for all of it and ultimately it was pointing pointing us to christ and and uh the indwelling of the 
the spirit of Christ in us too. And, and so um, we don't want to go backwards to lesser things that have passed away, right? We are now trying to understand this in the greater way or the greatest way. And so what, what should we understand this as then, since it's not the physical arc from the old temple, what's a better way to understand verse 19 Uh, I just think it speaks of the the presence of of God there because that's what the ark symbolized where the ark was there it's where God placed his his presence in a saving salvific special way um, and so I think it's John is using that imagery that that's what that imagery is speaking of just like the temple itself um, the place where God dwells and um, we understand you know, that Christ is the true temple and that, you know, um, so we're not looking for a literal temple in heaven, like a physical building. Um, but it's, but that imagery is there to speak of God's presence and we have access to his presence forever. Mm -hmm. You know, this is going to come to a shock. This is going to come as, as a, a shock, shock to all of you and to most of our listeners, but I'm going to put a filter on and not do the Ark of the Covenant gift. It's a, it's a little much. So uh, <laughs> We want to keep this a uh, yeah. child-friendly show, <laughs> business safe, uh, or work safe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. since, since Mike hasn't spout any heresy yet, I figured I'll keep a filter on uh, and not play that gift. That's fair. I still, there's still time for heresy. We've got a couple minutes left. Yep, we do. But we don't have a lot of material left to cover. We've just got the end of verse 19 there. I'm sure you could pull it in. I probably could. Yeah. I'll see if I can't. Uh, so for verse 19 ends in kind of an amazing um, and also really sad way. There are flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, heavy hail. It's a whole bunch of stuff that looks and sounds amazing but also as you you kind of trace some of these things throughout scripture you also see these as a sign of as a sign of judgment right so that's where our chapter ends is is with judgment yeah it's kind of like a i guess you could say to kind of like an exclamation point um if you kind of remember you know when god showed up on mount sinai i guess it was a terrifying thing for people too but it was you know like God is here and is kind of marked by these, you know, fire and, and earthquake and such and thunder. And so um, there's kind of an exclamation point aspect uh, to it as well. You know, kind of like God has spoken, he'll certainly do it, which certainly includes also uh, the judgment that's involved in, in these verses as well. So it's kind of, you know, I am the Lord and I approve this message. <laughs> that's the best way to ever to look at it right <laughs> that's great oh goodness well guys you got any closing thoughts on the seventh and final trumpet the end of the world as we know it and i feel fine because i believe in jesus right that was a good addition mike well Probably it's good to just note that, you know, if, if you're not ready for this day, 
if this day is one that um, makes you nervous and and you're worried about this, then um, then you can cry out to the Lord. And if you fear fear His name and recognize that He is the one true God and that um, that you need to be forgiven by Him and and that um, you want to be set free from what you rightfully deserve as punishment for your sins that um, that you can cry out to him and for for the, all of those who fear his name that he will um, forgive you and apply the work of Jesus to you and make you one of his servants and a citizen of heaven and this day then will not be one that you need to look at with trepidation um, but that you can actually be excited about um, the day that you're brought home with the Lord. And, and so um, that's available for everybody who's listening to this. Um, and if you still have breath in your lungs and a beating heart and the Lord hasn't come yet, there's still time for you to cry out to him. All right. Fitting end to uh, chapter 11. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, close up. Holy Father, Lord God, we thank you for today. We thank you um, that that final day, that day when you return, the day when you judge the living and the dead and make all things new is not a day that we have to fear if we're in Christ. Lord, it is a day of judgment for all those that have rejected you, but for all those um, who confess their sins before you, who believe in your name, who trust in, in Jesus, it is the day when all things are made right. And there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow. We'll no longer have broken bodies. We'll no longer be sinful or live in a sinful world. It's a day when we get to spend eternity with you forever. So allow us to long for that day. Lord, by your word, I pray that you would strengthen our faith and equip us for your service. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you.